0: welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frinino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. At the end of a couple of weeks, all of a sudden you get
1: an idea and you go, aha,
0: okay, thank you.
1: Oh, yeah. And then one song usually kicks off another song. You write um, the counterpoint to the song you just finished. And maybe two or three come and you get you go back to nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. See, at this point, you're a terrible person. You're horrible. You have stubble. Not you, I mean, but I have stubble. And you're drinking, you have hangovers, you wear a bathrobe. You're just, you're not there. You're not all there. And
0: that's the only way to do it. It's just, it's
1: miserable. It's horrible. Don't do it.
0: This is the second installment of our two-part series covering Billy's television appearances from 1980 through 1984. While the bulk of the spots we've covered so far found him promoting the Nylon Curtain, the latter batch has him on the promotional trail for the An Innocent Man album and addressing his tabloid notoriety with then-girlfriend, soon-to-be-wife, Christy Brinkley.
2: Join us as we continue digging deep into Billy Joel's television appearances from 1980 to 1984.
0: And so that brings us to an MTV interview. We're once again talking a little about Allentown and we're talking about just the writing process in general, where a lot of this was certainly reiterated on night school. This is certainly around the same time, generally speaking. And this may have been uh, a promo for it or like, you know, shot at the same time. He looks very similar. I feel they're very close together. Yeah. I mean, they probably just filmed both on the same day. You know, you got him in the studio, get as much as you can out of it. Yeah, and it's uh, Martha
2: Quinn doing the uh, interview on
0: this yeah. one. Yeah, and b- because surprisingly, she is asking a lot of questions about songcraft and things like that, which is what came up on Night School. And you wonder which one led into the other one. And also, you know, if right. he said, I- I'll bet you he decided on this one. He's like, I want to talk about writing. I want to talk about this as, you know, almost a literary piece. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Glass Houses cycle was more about, hey, look at me now, I'm a punk. Now it's, hey, look at me, I'm a writer, and Innocent Man is, hey, look at me, I'm having fun. (laughs) Look at me, I'm in love. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Uh, But what I found interesting, and we were talking about before how, um, oh, let's just say that My Life and A Room of Our Own and Blonde Over Blue are like a saga or a, a deep cut trilogy of sorts. He talks about you know when he can finally start writing, one song kicks off another and he'll write what he thinks is the counterpoint to that song. Which really makes you want to go back and listen to every album and try to ascertain which song was a counterpoint to another.
2: Songwriting isn't necessarily sequence order on the record, but I do recall somewhere seeing that the Nylon Curtain album was largely written in sequence. Give or take. The genesis of Goodnight Saigon was from like the 70s, you know, that had been around a while. So I think, you know, here
0: and there it's not completely linear but um i think for the most part he did write the album in order that's funny then to think about so like he goes from allentown talking about the fathers to laura talking about his mother yeah how about the juxtaposition then of um bitching for three and a half minutes about how tough it is to write a song with pressure right and then you delve right into uh oh yeah but these guys were in the bush <laughs> like these guys were in the
2: shit and then you flip over to side two she's right on time you know at the end of the day uh, you know we're in love and I'm waiting for her. And then the song after that, it's coming apart more. Yeah. And then you have um, surprises and which that's just an outlier.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and then (laughs) Scandinavian skies. I
0: I guess you could put those two together. Surprises and Scandinavian skies. Yeah. And then where's the orchestra is just the book end of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. We also get in this one, And he attributes it this time to James Joyce. He attributes that quote, I hate writing. I love having written. And I don't even know that it's his fault. I think we've just, uh, we as Billy Joel fans have um, attributed it to him because that's where we heard it. Right. He actually does attribute it to someone else, which is funny because now as I'm looking it up, take your pick here. There's also a quote from Dorothy Parker. I think it's Dorothy Parker, actually, not James Joyce, whomever Billy said it was. That's what I'm seeing kind of over and over again.
2: One thing that's fascinating about the interview for me was the, you know, as he talks about the songwriting process, when he sits down, he's like, all right, time to start the next album. You know, as is human nature of something, that's not the most fun for you. You procrastinate. Mm -hmm. You just kind of put it off, put it off. But then, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, especially with a lot of, a lot of bigger artists when it's decided that they're going to go in and do an album. Record companies will set a release date before it's even been done. That's what puts the pressure on him. He says, okay, well, I know that they're gonna put out the album on September 14th. So that means they have to have the single done by this date. That means that the artwork has to be done by this date and the album has to be mixed by this date. So like the deadline of release date suddenly means like, oh, I have to make sure this album's done X amount of time ahead of time so they can put it out.
0: Funny that he talks about it on this album, which was delayed by six weeks. Later on, when he talks about how bad his wrist was, to think that it was only six weeks is rather absurd. Astounding. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yeah, so this next one is Good Morning America, uh, Steve Fox interview. And thanks to some on-screen graphics, I was able to figure out that it was, I think, December 10th,
0: 1982. I'm not a fan of like the Good Morning America stuff, just in general. Yeah. We really, I think, see Billy getting certainly more comfortable. He's in a Harley Davidson shirt in this one, for Christ's sake. Um, this is I know. a far And cry this is from the, filmed
2: backstage.
0: Yeah. But I mean, even still backstage or not, like th- there was a choice. They could have thrown a suit on him if they right. wanted to.
2: 100%. Yeah. And all this footage was filmed while they were on tour for the Nylon Curtain album. Mm-hmm. And it was all filmed in Memphis. And looking back, he was in Memphis, November 30th, 1982. So this is likely the timestamp of the interviews. Yeah, footage.
0: Right. So we get here the uh, the birthright comment about Allentown, where he's now crystallized it, and it also kicks off another sort of interview motif that he'll use later when he's talking about music versus the lyrics, how they relate, and and the importance of each. So he he does it yeah. with my Sharona, which I, ironically I think that one's a little more a little more recognizable because it's not as big as a, a transition from the verse to the chorus but he's just like, I don't know what those words are. and them and my Sharona. He makes the jab at the at reviewers and he says, you know, the lyrics are important in part because critics deal in words. So that's what they can understand. You can, you can come up with something that's great musically, but it my, yeah, I, I'm, this is my power phrasing here is basically he's saying you can come up with something really great musically, but if the critic that's writing about it doesn't have the, let's say musical vocabulary or even the internal pitch to to, Appreciate what's going on. They're just going to hang on the words if they don't like those words you're up the creek
1: Is it surprising to you that people have made such a big deal about the lyrics then? it's Equally as important as the music. The only thing is it's easier to to find or to relate to lyrics than it is to music if you're not a musician. In other words, journalists or critics deal in words. They deal in lyric um and the more intriguing the lyric is the more the more uh critically accepted it is to them. Uh, but if you write a really clever musical piece and they're not crazy about the lyrics, they're going to tend to write it off and say, wow, we don't, we don't think that's any good.
0: That's an interesting observation that he's got there. And I think that's because that's, I mean, that's really what he got knocked on. I think even more than the music was just, they were everyday lyrics and I mean, we love them now and I love them then, but yeah, they certainly weren't talking about, uh, partying, They certainly weren't They're not flowery. They're not flowery. Uh, They're not party songs. They're not Dylan songs. They're not even Elvis Costello, hard on your sleeve, Uh, a little overly literate, anything like that. They're middle America relatable. Yeah. You know, it's not surprising that with the, with the rise of uh, bro country and pop country over the past 10 years that Billy Joel has seen a bit of a a, a renaissance or resurgence uh, in part, of course, because of the Madison Square Garden shows, but also I think there's a, just a, a bigger, bigger market for that. And even the, the critics are still shitting on it. The numbers don't lie. People want to hear that. I think the pop country lyrics yeah. are abysmal. I think they all sound like they were written on index cards and shuffled and just put together <laughs> later. But it's in terms of plain spokenness, Billy Joel was good at that. We've I've talked well. We've talked about it and I've certainly keyed into. Um, when he has nice cadences and he does like you know kind of cool word sounds and, and things like that in phonetics, but at the end of the day, you know, there's not a lot of metaphor. It sounds good, yeah, but it's all on the table, which also yeah. is probably why I, I would venture to say why during this cycle he's talking so much more about what he's doing behind the songs because these are probably his most enigmatic lyrics on this album. Mm-hmm. Laura, like yeah, really, you would really have to know what's about his mom or about a mother, you know. Yeah. Surprises is is still opaque. Scandinavian skies. Now we know, but if you didn't know what Scandinavian skies were good luck with that one. Yeah. He went a lot deeper this time around. Uh, I like also here he talks about, and he does this in a, in a few spots. And, um, for any musician, this is important stuff to know about. He talks about the exchange of energy with the audience. And you know, I've heard him say it before, and I think hearing him say it three times in a row during my uh, marathon, listen, you know, really drove it home. You know, you always hear artists talk about Uh, or musicians or performers, you know, you, it comes back from the audience theater. People will talk about this till the night, you know, till the, till the day is done mostly because they really live and live and die on this. I think more than musicians you know, the idea that like, you know, you get it back from the audience, you know, their energy is what fuels Mm -hmm. you and stuff like that. But the idea that there's an exchange that like for the first three songs, uh, they're giving it to you, then you need to give it back to them. And then they give it back to you. And then like kind of, you got to run end. with it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think too, that really speaks to how he sequences his concerts. It's just a dance party at the end. You know, he always ramps it up with these, you know, big bouncy rock and roll hits and, you know, it just speaks So like he comes out, you know, he gives, gives people what they want. They, they, they slap that right back at him. Then, you know, there's, a, there's usually a couple songs where it's a little more heavy lifting on his part, you know, to really get it across to the audience and then it ramps up. And the next thing you know, it's just a party. You know, at that point, it's everybody's yeah. dancing. He's dancing, they're dancing. He talks about, to that point, in this one, he goes, you know, I see that guy in the front row with his arm crossed. He doesn't like Billy Joel. He's just there because his girl likes Billy Joel and dragged him here. And, you know, the idea right. is to get that guy up on his feet by the end of the show.
2: He goes into a bit here where he talks about, you know, how he deals with being a rock star. Um, You know, he tries to handle it with humor. And, mm-hmm. you know, we hear, you know, it's the... It's the schlub Billy. It's the you know, <laughs> it's the self-effacing you know that we've all come to know, yeah, over the years. But he talks about it here as well, right?
0: He also jumps into um, mental illness and uh, you know, yeah. his his suicide attempt. And this is uh, probably the I'm going to venture to say the first one. I think he talks about at least in our chronological, uh, at least in in our order of videos here. But to that point, I would say I don't think that was common knowledge before the early eighties. I don't think that was talked about in the, I don't think he talked about it in the seventies. I don't remember seeing anything, hearing anything about it. Um, And interesting that he takes it out in 82 for the nylon curtain of all albums. When you're talking about disillusionment and things like that. And he sort of opens up about it. I would be very curious. And uh, this would make an interesting YouTube sort of reaction video with the, with the focus we have on mental illness today and the idea of, uh, not only erasing stigma around it, but also not trivializing it anymore. I'd be interested to right. see what, what young people who aren't fans of Billy, so they're coming in cold, think about his explanation, right? Because I would say, yeah, I would venture to say on one hand, who else was talking about this, let alone a rock star? You're in your rock star phase. You know, you're about to be happy-go-lucky, yeah. innocent man. And you are like just blatantly saying like, this was me too, man. Like this, this you know, um, this is what I went through. Uh, on the other hand, yeah. you know, he tells the story because, you know, he is probably of that generation or whatever else where his moral is. I went to the, you know, uh, I was in uh, the, the hospital for three weeks and I realized, oh, no, no, I'm not crazy. I just got to get it together. Like, these guys are crazy. I'm really curious to see what, what kids especially would take would take away from that now. If they would appreciate the fact that I don't think anybody else would, would have talked about that at that time in such stark terms. Yeah but then to That's almost point. hand wave it away. And now we get some more really great behind the scenes stuff. This is a private reel with Billy Joel. What oh, man, this, this stuff don't exist no more. Like more, all these shows. <laughs> I think Friday night videos
2: was like a syndicated.
0: Oh, all oh, those um, like program. Yeah. What was it one that used to show up on like Friday nights? I think it was Friday night live or something. Remember those Friday night videos. Was it Friday night videos? No, it was, they were yeah. all like live. Yeah. It was all live stuff. It was Oh, see, we didn't get that one. Oh, well, I'm going to show my age and be a nerd. Used to come on, like, it used to be <laughs> TGIF, you know, your family matters and your perfect strangers. And then it was yeah. uh, 2020 or whatever. And then it was something live. Interesting.
2: I don't think we got that in Michigan. We did get a music video show. I think that was Friday night videos.
0: Yeah, this is a really, really cool video. And uh, we see John Small in this and Steve yeah. Cohen. Uh, we don't see them a lot, <laughs> certainly by now. Um uh, John, John small Jay Dubin this, as well as in this. Yeah. John small at this point is looking either like a serial killer or a porn star. You you go ahead and take your pick.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> but what I like about this though, is it's not solely focused on Billy. You yeah. really like talk to the key players in the production of the video to get
0: some more inside baseball, which I love that stuff. MTV was what? 81. It started. Yeah. So this is only two years into people really being aware of music videos. I'm sure Packages like this were really, really interesting to people to get behind the scenes. As these productions got bigger, you know, as when we w- looked at the videos, we talked about just how complex and, and enjoyable, but certainly how, how many moving pieces there were to, uh, yeah. tell her about it and to hear that, you know, John Small says we went to the same place. They shot something for the movie Tootsie, but let's, let's also date yeah. this again. They were right. saying how <laughs> like the Billy Joel video had a larger crew than Tootsie did <laughs> for the scenes they shot yeah. in that location. He says that the crew is uh,
2: 45 plus in the crew and the cast was over 30. Right. Um, So
0: that's a pretty big production. As we saw earlier, where he drops in a room of our own when talking about my life well before the nylon curtain in this one, it obviously comes afterwards. But I really love that little extra dimension he puts to the only time you hit the high notes, you know, the time he has when you play for Christy Lee. We talks about, you know, that's the only time you can really hit that high nose when you take a chance. Like you might blow it, you might squeak, but if you make it, the only way to get there is to reach further than you think you can go.
2: I noticed too, you know, he always, uh, he talked about, you know, again, this was become a theme. He's like, I'm not a camera oriented person. I'm an audio guy. So this is a little, he's like, I don't really enjoy doing these. If it looks like I'm enjoying myself. He's like, I'm just trying to be professional.
0: (laughs) He also comes in with this and he says this, uh, it's funny because I think, he says it. Yeah, he says what you said, and he says what I'm about to say, both in this one, and then over time, the one I'm about to say sort of fades away, and he keeps <laughs> the. Uh, no, I didn't like it. He goes, uh, "Well, videos yeah. are just another means of communication, and uh, any means of communication is good, you know." And uh, videos changed music. Yeah, he's seeing. He knows he's getting success with it. He knows the writing's on the wall. This is the way he has to go. So he's certainly not fighting it at the time
2: because he he knows how much it's helping. So you know, you yeah. know, even though it's not his comfort zone, the benefit is far out weighing the hesitation
0: also uh hearing his explanation of tell her about it besides it being like obviously a motown stacks kind of song it's pretty much thematically try a little tenderness yeah Uh yeah
1: i see myself i just laugh i'm not uh camera oriented and i'm a, a bit camera shy and i'm not really that comfortable with it even though maybe it looks like hey i'm really into it that's just because i'm trying to be professional uh I just, I just think it's funny. I mean, I know who I am, you know. Hey, I'm on TV, you
0: know. So speaking of the video to tell her about it, we're now into uh, MTV announcing the Innocent Man album's release. This is from 1983. Dallin
2: Hunter from MTV talking Mm. about it. It's kind of like a little MTV news brief, if you remember those. It starts by talking about Easy Money, that Billy has a song, Easy Money, that he wrote for the movie, and that it's going to appear on his new album, which some of the songs have already been recorded the album was currently being recorded and they didn't have an album title. They didn't have a release date yet, but it was essentially confirming that a new album was coming these days
3: from Billy Joel. Why? Because Billy has written the title song to Rodney's new film, easy money. Now, not only is it going to be the title to the film or the theme song for the film, uh Billy's also going to include it on his next album, which, by the way, all the material has been written for. And he's even got some of the basic tracks done in the studio. So he's moving right ahead with his new album. Don't have any release date on it yet. The film, Easy Money, if you want to see it. You want to see Rodney doing this to his tie August the 19th is when it's coming
0: out. Man, I love that side by side of uh, Billy and Rodney. I kind of want to print to that.
2: <laughs> yeah. After that one, we've got this interesting promo for Live from Long Island that was put out in 83 I don't know if this aired on HBO
0: I don't know where it lived but it certainly was out there I was o- always under the impression that this was like a sort of internal promo like this was for Blockbuster it's possible and, and for HBO and whomever else to use you know well I guess not HBO because yeah. they commissioned it but you know whoever was going to pick this up later one of those yeah. kind of things you know featuring George Michael I mean Billy Joel doing the uh the commentary there yeah the setting is
2: interesting he, it first starts with yeah the stranger whistling going on and it's just him sitting by himself like in the middle of the stands in the arena. It was a lot hotter. It was
0: a lot this hotter than this, time I was here. <laughs> and then it crashes okay. into into footage from the show.
1: It's a lot hotter than this the last time I was here.
0: And then yeah the, the, they go to a clip
2: of the stranger from the show and then he's walking he walks onto like a bare stage. It's interesting because you you see there's boards over the hockey rink. You see seats but you still see the boards
0: up. Yeah, hockey rink. I'm gonna conjecture that this is a a John Small joint. It's got that sort of backstage sort of intimacy that that we saw on last play at Shea. Yeah, where he likes to sort of get behind. And I think that comes from again them being friends for so long allows him to to think about these these things a little more intimately. And so you know to do this thing where like hey let's see let's see Billy in the empty stadium. You know let's see him walking around. Let's see him just nakedly whistling the stranger, little things like that.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: In the Life from Long Island, you know, he's, he's pretty square looking and then he's definitely not, (laughs) you know, here, uh, you know, he's,
2: I know. So now like we're looking
0: at what was, I guess the beginning of his 80s hair because the sides are a lot shorter and it's, you know, a little higher on top, but he's, you know, he's not clean shaven. He's wearing a leather jacket. You cut to, uh, you know, who looks like a accountant Billy by comparison. Yeah. Just a couple months prior. Yeah. And the tweed coat. Yeah. He
2: talks about, pressure a bit talks about the end of the tour it was near the end of the tour so everyone was amped up because you know hometown show everyone's family and friends were there you know and like the the whole the line we've mentioned many times everybody you ever knew in your whole life was here
1: (laughs) yeah and he says it as well here i think the night of the show uh between everybody's family and friends and everybody they ever knew in their whole life being there the fact that there were cameras the fact that it was getting down towards the end of the tour uh, the fact that everybody was kind of psyched up that it was hometown and uh, that all the lights were on and this was do or die, uh,
0: you could definitely call
1: it. Russia! I'm sure you're happy.
0: He seems genuinely happy with how it came out. He wouldn't be that way with Russia or uh, either... What was the Stormfront one called? Oh, well, Yankee Stadium. Yeah, he just feels that this was a really
2: good representation of their live show, and yeah. he really enjoyed watching it. I like too how he's like this kind of opens up a whole new world. He's like, why do I need to tour? You could reach a million people with one performance.
0: Yeah, because he ain't gonna sell as many t-shirts. That's why.
2: <laughs> that's exactly it. But it's so funny. He's like, you know, a lot of people don't go to concerts because you know they're like they get a bad rap, and it's it's just some of the the list of reasons he gives. I thought were kind of funny.
0: Yeah, that was. Uh, I've heard his app has has complained about that kind of stuff too. Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull to a smaller degree. Just yeah. that, like the cacophony and the, the, you know, the chaos and the, the beer and the, and the, everything else getting spilled. You have to trying to <laughs> yeah. make music and, and that's what's going on out there. And then he kind of, you know, ponders, you
2: know, hmm, what could people be doing while they're watching this?
1: It's sort of strange for me to think of people seeing me without me seeing them. That's opens up an entire world of possibilities. Uh, I'm trying to imagine myself what people would be doing other than standing in the audience. Um, I suppose people could, uh, you know, watching this in bed, there's an interesting idea. Uh, going to get McDonald's and watching it in the kitchen table, I suppose you could do that. I'm not plugging McDonald's. Uh, I suppose at a party, I, I guess. It's got to be better than... Uh, reruns of bonanza
0: it's some classic billy sort of banter but it also feels a little stilted it, it feels like he kind of walked in this is all fresh material and this is the difference between what we see once he's honed this stuff interview after interview and this is he's just kind of yes. riffing and it's like ah you're not quite there yet this is R- the 1 a.m right. site at the cellar you know or whatever it's some dinky comedy yeah exactly club.
2: <laughs> he shelved it all after because i think it, all this banter is one and done
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: So that's the last of 83. Uh, now we're going to go into 84 here,
3: 1984. Billy Joel is in the middle of a national tour that was sold out before he ever hit the road. Now, like most major tours, it's a big production. They're traveling with four tractor trailer trucks full of equipment and his largest stage show ever, including a full horn section and backup singers. Now, we've been dropping in since early January, so you're going to see Billy, his band, and the crew in a variety of settings, backstage,
1: backstage, Rehearsing and just hanging out. These are rehearsals on a soundstage in Manhattan. What happens is we're going to go to the first gig, which is up in Providence. And we're going to have rehearsals in the Coliseum itself because the room is big and it's going to have a different sound and the stage will be set up. Those are production rehearsals, like dress rehearsals. And so it's it's a couple of months that goes into it.
0: Yeah, so we are way out of Nylon Curtain territory. We are full on an innocent man, which is almost not quite true because this is, I'm going to guess, you know, as the tour was just starting. And so we're getting some footage from live from long Island here. So that was still that now on curtain stuff, but thematically, uh, we're, we're definitely talking about the innocent mentor and in particular, yeah, because he mentions, he mentions easy money. He talks about, uh, uptown girl. Uh, what I loved about this one, of course, was like, it's on the road liner notes. And yeah, man, this one is, kind of what it takes in 10 minutes, how much you could talk about what it takes to put on a concert down to like, he's talking about, well, we rehearsed on the sound stage in New York and then our first show is up in Providence. And so we actually rehearsed in that Coliseum ahead of time because it's going to sound different yep. in a big hall. We get a nice talking head from Steve Cohen talking about the lighting crew, you know? And then another thing he talks about more as time goes on is how he likes to do covers. And, you know, he'd love to just do that stuff. He name checks for anybody you know, really keep it score. He goes, ah, love to do just the stone Zeppelin and the Beatles all night. And then it cuts to them doing like a right. full on miss you. And he's doing like a really good, really earnest, like Jagger impression. And what's funny about that right? is how long were they playing that song? It wasn't like a 30 second thing. And they all like devolved into laughter. It was like, it was, it seemed like they were shopping. They were this like for a really minute. going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and he had, to, he had the dance down and everything, you know? And then he says, uh, the press makes up stuff. About him and Christie, you know, he's starting to get ahead of this because you know, like, he's got control over what questions they're going to ask and and stuff like that, or he at least yeah. knows ahead of time. Yeah. And it's funny, he goes, yep. well, Give me an example of something." And he's like, "I think if they don't have anything, they just make stuff up." And he said, "What?" He's well, and he when asked for an example, he says, "Well, they said they're going to get married and they have they set a date, and obviously by that point they hadn't, or whenever he was talking about it, right? Maybe the press was lying, but they were also prescient, so." <laughs>
1: Model Christy Brinkley is in the Uptown Girl video, and although it may be just a story, she's also the woman in Billy Joel's real life. You read about Billy and Christy, does that get on your nerves after a while? Well, yeah, because most of it is made up, uh, a lot of it isn't true. Uh, they have us taking trips to St. Croix, and uh, she's going off with Dudley Moore, and I, I'm doing this with that, and if, we're reading this. If they, I guess if they don't have something, they make it up. And what are you going to do? Keep calling them up going, no, you don't have it right. That's not what happened. What's the wildest thing that they said? The wildest thing that they said. Oh, man. uh, That uh, we were going to get married. You know, the date has been set and all this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, what kind of pressure is this? Who's this coming from? Is it coming from her family? Wait a minute, you know. It's Martha Quinn again, and she talks about
2: you know, if he gets tired of playing the old songs like Piano Man, which is kind of funny. You know, it was only like 11 years old at this point. But in his co- recording career, that was a very old song. So, and he talks about how the first half of the Nile Current tour, they stopped playing it, but then he felt guilty and brought it back. But the break made it fresh again.
0: Yeah, and it was only like a few nights on the tour that he said he didn't do it. It's not like he shelved it for right. three tours or something. Just enough. Yeah.
2: This was interesting. You know, I'm talking about the music videos, though, too. He, um... Again, you know, not typically comfortable with videos, he said. But with Uptown Girl video, that was an easier one for him, as far as like he could identify with being a you know a gas jockey, as he put it. You yeah. know, he just like scruffle and the dirty mm. you know, the dirty grease and the jumpsuit. He's like, for him, he said he he felt r-
0: fell right into character with it. It's something he'll touch on, and I think the next one too. He yeah. he does the grease monkey thing a couple times. You feel like he was almost yep. trying to justify the video in that sense. Now we have quick smash cut of uh, Innocent Man promo clips and Billy at Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden in 1984. Funny to hear Billy and King Crimson being name-checked in the same quick news update on MTV. We have more yeah. uh, Billy and Christy where they're doing impressions of other celebrities posing for photos. Notable here, based on what we were just talking about a little while ago, he says this is the tour where he no longer feels like the shows are promotional. He's no longer promoting the new album because people want to hear the older stuff. So now he starts talking more about how he has to balance his set lists between his new stuff and his old stuff, which, as we've also talked about episodes and episodes ago, how many times he gained a new audience, like the new generation or half generation. You know, the people that came on in Piano Man right. are not the same people that came online for An Innocent Man, who are not the same people that came online for River of Dreams. Like I was a Stormfront fella. Somebody a couple years younger than me comes on on River of Dreams. Before that, yeah, exactly. Maybe really didn't care that much. Came on for uh, Uptown Girl or whatever else. Because I, I really think yeah. there was an innocent man, and then it was Stormfront, mm-hmm. and then it was River of Dreams. I think those two were far enough apart that yeah, he grabbed a new, he grabbed another wave of people there that puts yeah. him on par with Miles Davis, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Now we get the hot tracks in 1984, and now we are clearly we are hearing a lot of stuff that was in was on Night School in in other places. Yeah. Uh, We have the stage fright. Do you get stage fright kind of thing? We have the exchange of energy with the crowd. More talk about the the videos. I hate making them. I like seeing them, which is a variation on the, I hate writing. I love having written. This is my favorite interviewer of this batch. He was the most conversational. He was the one that I think actually watched the damn videos before he talked about them. And not like in any big way, but just the way he was able to go off the cuff. I forget what it was exactly was going into talking about yeah. one of them where he did a really good oh yeah speaking to that and he speaks to something in the next video um, in a way yeah. that really denotes that he had actually take, taken the time and you could tell you could tell that uh, this is a more f- informal smoother enjoyable conversation and
2: I think this is one of the only times you hear about the talking about um, a little more of the uptown girl process
1: doing the work on the video I don't really have a great time doing them I love seeing them when they come out because I oh shoot you know that's great I do get involved in the story part of it right and I there's some things that people will suggest to do you know hey we're gonna have you flying in like Peter Piss, nah nah not me man. <laughs> but uh, like when we did the dancing in Uptown Girl right? And I said you're gonna dance I said uh, uh no I said, after I've seen Peter I said forget it nobody should ever <laughs> dance again after seeing that and I met with Michael Peters and he Really kind of brought me to it. He said, Look, what'd you, you know, this is like a four seasons feel. What'd you do when you dance at the four seasons? I said, Well, we used to do line dancing, they call it. The right. girls would line up here and the guys would line up there and we'd, we'd do this. It was real white, was real, real white. But it was like as we'll soulful as, as we could get. Yeah, yeah okay. But uh, it was line dancing and Michael kind of adapted that thing to what I was going to do. And I think I look a little stiff, but Michael said, That's the charm of it, you know?
4: I mean, that's that's Michael's strong points because we interviewed him on the show also. Mm-hmm. And we asked him about working with all these different big stars like Billy Joe, Lionel Richie. And uh, he says that most of you guys were insecure because you're mostly musicians or whatever. You're mostly insecure. But what he had to do was to bring out your strengths by asking you what, how you danced to it. You know, made you more comfortable. Yeah, that that made it good for me to do that.
0: Yeah. And knowing that's really cool to know that he was canny enough to, to incorporate that exact thing. Not only because it would make Billy comfortable, but it was also indicative of the time that they were recreating with the song. And he's
2: like, the awkwardness makes it charming. He does mention Allentown and that he did like that video quite a bit because Mm -hmm. he wasn't the focal point. Right. Just got to play the Woody Guthrie character with a guitar in the background.
0: We get more on uh, pressure, you know, rehashing a lot of stuff. What he commented
2: on with pressure, he said, I wasn't nervous or whatever doing that video. He said, they had me doing so much stuff. I was just trying to get through it. He's like they had, you know, dogs going after me and you know, water <laughs> sinking into the water thing and he's like, Yeah, oh, this director really had a thing for water
0: <laughs> Yeah Yeah, I was just worried about surviving, I think is what he said. Yeah, I was just worried about surviving the shoot. Yeah. And it was funny because and I think this is one of the points where the interviewer like really pulled this off. Like he was saying something about it, like, Oh yeah, and as ridiculous as it got with Uptown Girl, you know, and he tosses that out so conversationally that Billy like takes no no umbrage with this fact. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah, you know, it was right. You know, very, very yep. casually. I like what he was talking about. Because when you're doing these videos, he goes, uh, if you get the technical people on your side, you're okay. Uh, they'll they'll go out of their way to help you. Because he goes, they've done so many of these. They go, here comes another rock star. He's going to throw a tantrum. And he goes, no, I want to yep. be doing a job just like they are. Like, I'm pu- you're putting in the work, I'm putting in the work. And next thing you know, you know a union bell yeah. could go off and they'll just... They'll just get it done. You know, they'll, they'll work with Yeah.
2: Further on the Uptown Girl video, he mentions that was like the two hottest nights of the summer. Yeah. That year. And he's yelling at people who are catcalling Christy. (laughs) Christy, he's like going after him and stuff like that. And it's funny, like recent history, I think Christy did a Howard Stern interview where she talked about the video too and mentioned how hot it was. And she's like, yeah, my, my heels kept sinking into the into the asphalt it was so damn hot yeah. you know
0: <laughs> you know it's funny just think about this versus today like <laughs> you imagine does somebody have the story a couple of are like oh billy joel and christy brinkley let's go down it hey christy and then like billy joel comes flying out there like the F you think you're doing pal like somebody's got right. that story but if it was now it would have been right. a cell phone cat like tmz would have picked it up like you know billy goes out or right. whoever the analog would be now like, so-and-so goes after them It'd be like pete davidson yeah. or something you know <laughs> like Somebody, right, in catcalling a Kardashian
2: there, <laughs> but you know, because it's interesting because this was like not this was an on location shoot, yeah, you know, in the Bowery, right. not exactly the nicest neighborhood at the yeah. time, um, and it was at night, you know, right. it was a night shoot, yeah. obviously, um, so it's like yeah, it's like things can get a little sketch, yeah, <laughs> in the city at night.
0: <laughs> the last thing I really want to mention about this was him talking about leave a tender moment alone. And this is, I think it's the only time I've heard him talk about it. And I really love he uses the phrase, fr- he uses the phrase cut the grease. That was a good one. Yeah. That was almost like you want to go and see if he almost used that later in a song. Just like a room of our own, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of thing when you realize like what a unique yeah. uh, and really heartfelt uh, idea for a song that was, it makes what always felt sort of like a throwaway song to me. Makes me want to go back and listen to it like a little more closely just to, just to catch that. Like, not often talked about aspect of uh, courtship. So we wrap this up now. We're on the Today Show. This is the point where, the, if all these interviews were uh, comedy clubs, this is the HBO special. Playing all the hits. He's got all the he's got all the cadences down. He's got all the he's uh, got all the wording down. The rhythm, the punches, the delivery. And uh, you know that's why it, it's a perfect place to stop. But like ah, I just between Good Morning America and the Today Shows, it just. They never do it for me. You know, they're all just, hey, you know, they're either like too giddy or they're like just trying to make, they're trying to add too much gravitas. Like clearly mm-hmm. you and I love right. the hell out of Billy Joel, but like, come on, dude, just a songwriter. Right. Let's not, you, you ain't talking to the Ayatollah here. Like, you know, just, just dial yeah. it back a half notch and let just let the man talk. <laughs> but yeah, that's what he's doing. He's just, uh, just, he's just giving them the hits. The only interesting thing here was that this is the least fawning one. He's talking about how his image is at best uneven. And how his critics call him an or- unoriginal imitator, you know, hostile toward critics, you know, that kind of thing. And then he gets the chance to um, to reframe that as I'm not an imitator. To me, that's Renaissance.
2: I consider that eclectic. Yeah, I ec- yeah, consider eclectic.
0: eclectic. Yeah, which you know, everybody loved Bowie for it. You know, don't you love Billy for it? You know, and you know, it's funny to to talk about it being uneven. Uh, they, they then show him in a leather jacket singing "She's Got Away." Like nice juxtaposition of like a tough guy look and like m- one of the most tender ballads he wrote.
2: Funny enough, it just, it, it occurred to me as I was watching this last night, that clip, that was Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? That was from Saturday Night Live, oh, good, 81. Good eye, yeah. And how they were able to definitely use that one because NBC. Right, yeah, they had it in the
0: in the stocks there. Yeah. They own the footage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we get some basic biographical information, Piano before Beatles on Ed Sullivan, he was in The Echoes and The Lost Soul. Uh, we get a little about the uh, his suicide attempt. Um, I did yep. notice here... That in this version, he says he was in the, um, he was in the hospital for two weeks. I think previously he said three, three, Uh, Yeah. you know, this is real comic book guy, you know, nerd nitpicky stuff, but what the hell? Yeah. That's what we do here. (laughs) That's right. Um, But I did love the phrase he used. Okay. Let's take care of this. And I think that's to the idea of him workshopping this stuff where I was saying before, like, I wonder if, you know, the idea that he was one of the only people at that time talking about this, the fact that he was sort of blowing it off in his response and that, Evolved into let's take care of this, where he's not trivializing yeah. it, but he's not giving it any more weight than it should have. It's pragmatic. Nope, let's take care of this. We can we can do this. Right, a little, a
2: little more light at the end of the tunnel. That was a very interesting, different spin to put on it. That really, I think, made it a little more level, level headed.
0: This is the first time we hear in an interview about the uh, Chinese food in the studio. Um, I thought that's so that too. It's really interesting. Like for him. To, do a national interview with him
2: talking about the um the recording process with the band. I thought that was pretty cool. Talk and alluding
0: to the flatulence in the studio as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The smells. Yeah. You wanna you wanna finish, you wanna, up, you wanna and finish up and get out of there. Go. Yeah. Rehashes Allentown, uh gives a little about yep. um Vietnam and Goodnight Saigon. Uh goes into the point once again, these are these weren't uh, political songs, they were human songs, a little pro and con in the music business. Uh but one thing uh that was interesting, and this is a through line that we have identified in in some other episodes, uh, he hones in on the family life. You're not you're not yeah. grown up until you have a kid, and that that plays into what we've sort of talked about. Certainly, when we were talking about the bridge, how he wanted to be home uh, with Christy and Alexa, how we've kind of keyed into there's some abandonment themes that run through some of these songs. Yeah, you know this is this is one of those touch points to it.
2: That was actually a really nice segment. It's to, to, to talking about marriage. He he gets a little squirmy there. He's like, oh, not there yet. No, we haven't really talked about it. (laughs) We're just enjoying ourselves, right? And you know, they—he got—he was out of a marriage, and she was out of a long relationship, and they're not jumping into anything, right? Which was nice uh, little thing. Um, uh, what else? And he talks about good nights I got about you know how um being a draft dodger and his you know friends wanted him to write the song, which is a story we would all come to know.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of rehashing here. There's a, a renewed effort to frame the conversation the way he wants to. I think that's what we saw in 2020. Yeah. He wanted to be the punk. This time he's addressing the uh, imitator, uneven image thing, and he's trying to recreate this because now he has, in the last three albums, been three different people. And if you go back to 52nd Street, four different people. Um, So anybody right. that's been paying attention since 78 is like, yeah, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, He's putting his frame on it. And that's where we'll uh, end it here. That is uh, 1980 through 1984, Billy Joel on the small screen.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting snapshot of finally getting some more documentation of Billy. You know, as we've done these episodes, a lot of the 70s stuff is, especially is really under documented. There's, you know, no video until later in the decade. Mm-hmm. There's very little written until The Stranger. Really fascinating seeing the media coverage ramp up as this decade goes on. And that was a big reason we decided to split the 80s into two because I have a feeling as we go through the bridge and especially into the early part of the Stormfront cycle, we're going to see a lot more Billy Joel on television.
0: And it's going to feel a lot different as well. It's not going to be this ascent. It's not going to be this introduction to network television that we're seeing here, network and cable television. By the the time the decade ends up winding down, you're going to start to see turmoil again.
2: Right. Uh, So it's interesting how where he's at personally in his career is obviously reflected in a lot of what's going on. And again, with this is it's just so fascinating to see how different Billy is at every era uh, and every year that we're seeing here in these videos. I mean, this is only five years of time, but 1980 Billy versus 1984. Billy is so
0: different and it's a fascinating watch to see the evolution. Right. Yeah. Going into glass houses versus coming out of an innocent man. Three different people. <laughs> Three totally different people. So let's hear from you guys now. Uh, did anybody videotape these back in the day? Speaking of the very
2: last thing we just covered, the Today Show interview with Brian Gumble. I mean, I was only like five and we apparently had a VCR because I recorded a few of the segments of this. Huh. I don't know how I knew. I think already by by five years old that if anybody knew heard anything about Billy Joel being anywhere, it somehow found its way to me from my parents or whoever. I don't have it anymore, but at some point I did when this originally aired, I did record a few of the segments mm-hmm. of this because this was in a couple different segments. And it's also worth noting that this Today Show interview also had the premiere of The Longest Time video. This is where it made its debut
0: yeah they did like this huge ramp up to it
4: this morning we'll discuss the phenomenon of videos and we have the pleasure of having the world premiere shown for the first time anywhere billy joel's new video it's entitled the longest time stay with us it's the longest time here on today like all successful rock artists these days joel's using video to help sell his records and finds it a useful medium but billy admits it is not always enjoyable to do one I like them when they
1: come out good. I don't really enjoy making them because I'm not a camera-oriented person. Here's a camera. I have a hard time looking into a camera. I'm a microphone-oriented person, a sound-oriented person. Visual things are are inside to me. Um it's a lot of work doing those videos. Are you at all disturbed at how fancy, at how expensive some of them are getting? Well, I think it's another form of communicating music. I don't really, uh, I I know I've heard people starting to worry that the tail is wagging the dog now with videos. Um, I think a good piece of music uh, is just gonna be communicated to more people with a video. What about the longest time? The longest time was the first video I've done with the band, my own band, because they're always going, how come we're not in the videos? How come we're not in the videos? Okay, you wanna be in the video? come on and you have to stand under the lights and you have to block and you have to choreograph and you have to do it over and over and over and over again until you get it right and you got to do it this way
0: that's the height of superstardom when you get that much attention just for a music video <laughs> Yeah, <You know? laughs> exactly i mean yeah. not until uh, michael jackson having the uh tail oh, wag yeah. the dog for black or white i think do <laughs> we see this sort of hoopla I mean, I'm sure there are yeah. others, but that was certainly the one I remember when it was like a prime time. Uh, yeah,
2: me too. Yeah. Yeah. That was the Michael Jackson, that was the Simpsons. Yeah. I think yeah. it was
0: back to back with that, right? Yep. 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 And then we all sat there and watched him, uh beat the hell out of that car. We're like, all right, this is going on for a while.
2: Yeah. I am very curious to see if any of you caught any of these when they aired. And does anybody have any VHS tapes with these on there laying around and. Also, are there any that we missed? And I'm sure there are. We pretty much went off of what we could find on YouTube because we needed something that we could watch and reference. So if, you know, if it didn't get uploaded there, we, you know, we unfortunately weren't able to cover it because we couldn't see it. So if there's any other interesting um, Billy TV appearances from the early 80s and even the later 80s, because we're going to be covering that soon as well. I'm curious if there's anything else out there that that we might have missed.
0: Give us a heads up on anything for the later, but definitely tell us if we miss anything, uh, we'll, we'll, we can do some cleanup on a later episode and, uh, and include those for sure. You know, we, we aim to be as comprehensive as possible and that's a great way to get us there. Oh, uh, speaking of um, if you do want to help us out in any way, and you do listen to us on Apple podcasts, head on over to the website. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review and positive rating. Every five-star review and positive rating tells Apple that we are a podcast of merit And so it should introduce us to more people. We've certainly seen jumps in our listenership every so often. And uh, from what we can tell, that's due to um, more people coming in when more people see it on Spotify and Apple podcasts. When all of a sudden more people see it coming up in their suggested or their feeds or what have you. So that's you guys. You know, that's you guys clicking on this every time. That's you guys giving us those reviews. That's you guys interacting with the episodes just uh, helps introduce us to more people. And we really appreciate that.
2: We always love to read feedback and your stories on, on the shows. Um, even though I know we do record sometimes in advance, but, uh, funny enough, this is our first recording in about two months. <laughs> yeah. Even though we, we didn't break the uh, release schedule. Um, we, we took a brief recording hiatus because, uh, I moved into a new house and I spent the better part of six weeks packing and moving and, and trying to figure all that out. But, um, it's exciting to be back and set up and, and, you know, we're, we're continuing full steam ahead. So there's certainly a lot more coming. Speaking of the emails, which I mentioned, you know, if you want to reach out and contribute to anything, we'd love to, uh, have your input, read your stories. So, uh, you know, podcast at gmail.com anytime, just shoot us a message message. And, you know, if you don't want it to be on the air and you just want to get our input, you know, we respond to everything as well too. So just let us know. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from everybody.
0: But for now, uh, I, I got to get up and uh, adjust the rabbit ears on my TV because it's 1983 and the picture's getting a little fuzzy. So I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs> I
2: like it. Yep. So uh,
0: so uh, while Jack's adjusting the rabbit ears, I'm going to watch
2: a little cheers and see what Sam and Diane are up to. Mm-hmm. And we will be back after a word from our sponsors. Actually, we don't have any sponsors, but we will see you guys again in two weeks. Whoa!